0: Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Wednesday, October 16th, 2019. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. Thanks for tuning in. Kicking off the show, Eminence Front, The Great Eminence Front by The Great The Who, off of the 1982 album It's Hard. Thought that that would be an appropriate song to kick off the show Given what went down Monday night in Green Bay We've talked about this many times We'll get into all of it as far as the Lions getting screwed over But the reason I play that song is because Of the lyric, Eminence Front, it's a put-on Because the more I watch the NFL Particularly when it comes to the Lions The more uh, I see and know that it is not an equitable league. It is not a fair league. Um, and frankly, it's a fraud. The league is an absolute fraud. And I look, I get it. You can tell me I'm a conspiracy theorist. I understand the need for people to believe that there's a level playing field. I understand the need for all the Lions beat writers to make up a million excuses and say they should have scored touchdowns and kicked field goals. By the way, that's a lazy argument, okay? Who knows how the rest of the game would have gone, right? It's easy to just say in a vacuum, well, if the Lions scored another touchdown or two, then those plays don't even matter. Well, that, that, it, that's, that doesn't take into account the fact that the Packers may have played a much different game, depending on the score. So that's a lazy argument. It's a bunch of horse shit, frankly. Okay. The bottom line is the Lions did make a play. They made two plays. They made a big play to get off the field up nine with about 10 minutes to go and get the ball back. And the refs decided to screw the lines and call illegal hands to the face. Which, by the way, the NFL has now come out and said that the first call was, was correct, but the second call was incorrect. So another half-measure bullshit apology from the NFL That does absolutely nobody who's a Lions fan or a Lions player or coach or member of the organization any good. So I don't want to hear it from the NFL. We've heard all these apologies before. It's a bunch of garbage. Okay. But here's the thing. I understand that Lions beat writers. Look, if that's your job, you don't want your job to be covering something that's illegitimate. The NFL is illegitimate. It's a joke. I mean, unless you're a Packers fan, it's great. If you're a Patriots fan, it's great. So I get it. I understand why the Kyle Menkes of the world who writes for MLive.com or Justin Rogers who writes for, I believe, either the DetroitNews.com or Free Press, Dave Burkett. I get why all these guys want to fall back on the tired, lazy argument that really the Lions did this to themselves. Because if you don't, if you actually attention to what's happened to this team and let's call it the last At least 10 years Then you realize that you work In an industry Or you work to cover a team That's part of a league That's patently unfair And that's not fun So I understand, I get it I understand that that's what they're going to fall back on, and that's what most fans are going to fall back on, and that's what the players are going to fall back on, and Matt Patricia, the head coach, is going to fall back on. I understand all of that, but you see, I'm in the unfortunate position of being a fan of this team for 40 years and watching what's gone on, and it's the same cycle over and over again, right? This has happened to the Lions how many times now? Let's go back. Let's just start in 2010 with the Calvin Johnson game. And I hate to rehash the past because I've done it on previous shows. But unfortunately, in this situation, I believe it bears doing. Yeah, the 2010 game against the Bears with Calvin Johnson with the catch that then created a controversy for the next eight years. And by the way, it's still not even really been fully solved because for some reason, the league decided to change what a catch was before that year. I'd love for some intrepid reporter to actually have the stones to ask somebody in the league office, why did that happen? Because if you watch football as long as I have, I can tell you, and folks that have been around as long as I have have been watching football can tell you that when you caught a ball in the end zone, if you got two feet down in that possession, if a D-back came over and stripped the ball afterwards, it didn't matter. The play was ruled dead. It was over. If you caught a ball in the back of the end zone, And went down to the ground, and then fell out of bounds, and the ball popped out. Didn't matter. The play was over. It was a touchdown. The NFL decided to change all of that. But even that Calvin Johnson play, where anybody with two sets of eyes could tell you that that was a catch, regardless of whatever stupid new rule the NFL decided to implement about what a catch was and was not. So we could start there. We could start. Also, we can go now to 2011 which a game up in Green Bay, by the way, of course, where the Lions got rooked a million ways to Sunday, two plays being plays where Lions players were clearly down, the ball came out, the Packers, of course, picked them up and pretended like they were fumbles, the refs allowed it to happen. Jim Schwartz was out of challenges because he had to challenge another terrible call that negated a Lions touchdown that was a Lions touchdown. No, sorry. They upheld both the calls. Then the Lions scored a touchdown. The refs called it not a touchdown, but Jim Schwartz was out of challenges, so he couldn't challenge it, which I think then sparked the rule that all scoring plays and turnovers are reviewable, so that the coaches aren't put in the position of having to challenge them. Because of that game, because they realized it was a problem. Thanks, NFL. 2011 also saw the playoff game Against the Saints where the the Lions Sacked Drew Brees and forced a fumble Before the end of the half And Justin Durant picked it up and was going to run it in for a touchdown But the refs incorrectly blew the play Dead They awarded the ball back to the Lions but there was not enough Time for the Lions to come down and score Actually no sorry they did score But then the Saints came down and scored but anyway My point is huge play in the game you can go to 2013, the Thanksgiving Day game, where Justin Forsett is clearly down. The whole line's defense stops. He pops up and keeps running for some reason. The refs never blow the whistle. Jim Schwartz, out of his mind, throws a challenge flag. But they had just put in the rule that all scoring plays are challengeable. And then so if you challenge a play that's already challengeable, which was a stupid rule, it was a penalty, and they wouldn't look at the play. Well, the refs realized, the the league realized that's a dumb dumb rule, and they got rid of it the next year. Again, at the Lions, the Lions always the guinea pig, right? So it's funny how the league figures out that these rules are stupid after they cost the Lions games. And later that season, Mike McCarthy, then the head coach of the Packers, again, did the same thing against the Vikings. I was watching the game to the point where Jordy Nelson and Aaron Rodgers started screaming at him for challenging a fumble. On Somebody on the Vikings I think it was Adrian Peterson For screaming at him Because he forgot the rule But Shockingly enough They claimed that the booth Buzzed down before he threw the flag So you know No harm no foul Because it's the Packers And it's Mike McCarthy And then everybody on the Packers Sideline had a big laugh That's 2013 2014 We had the playoff game Against the Cowboys Where they decided to pick up A pass interference flag 2015, I think, saw the Monday night game where uh, K.J. Wright batted the ball out of the back of the end zone on a fumble, which should have given the Lions the ball back on the goal line with about a minute left. They would have had to go-ahead score. You had the playoff game against Dallas where, uh, I forget who the receiver was for the Cowboys, grabs the face mask of the Lions defensive back, but the Lions defensive back got called for pass interference on a play in the end zone. I mean look, the Lions were never really in that game Sorry, not, not, not the Cowboys Seattle, that was Seattle was Paul Richardson And then you had what happened Monday night So I just gave you what, about seven instances But I'm supposed to think That referees And look, I'm not saying anybody's paid off it's Too hard to do that I think But You're going to tell me that referees don't see, they don't consciously know what teams are the supposed dregs of the league like the Lions and then who are the star franchises like the Cowboys and the Packers and the Patriots? You're going to tell me that doesn't exist? There's not an inherent bias against teams like the Lions and the Jets, by the way, when the refs tried to screw out of a win on Sunday against the Cowboys too? And then it turns out David Bakhtieri, who, by the way, the worst kept secret in the NFL, is the Packers offensive line holds on nearly every play. Case in point, T.J. Lang started for the Packers for eight years. He was an undrafted uh, guy out of eastern Michigan. Somehow managed to have a great career for the Packers as a guard. And look, I'm not saying guys can't be undrafted and go on to to play very well and, and be even all pros. But isn't it interesting that he was an all-pro stud for the Packers Hardly ever got called for penalties The second, when he was a free agent, the Lions signed him And I believe he got flagged for five penalties in his first three games It's the most penalties he'd ever been called for in a year Trey Flowers, never been called for an illegal use of hands to the face When he was on the Patriots for the last four years So in a Patriots jersey, it's okay, right? But on a Lions jersey, it's a penalty Never got called for this penalty before When he was on the Patriots But you're going to tell me That it's a level playing field, right? It's ridiculous It's ridiculous The evidence is right there In front of our faces, folks I understand the need and the desire To think that it's on the level But it is not So then the question becomes, why bother rooting for this sport anymore and or this team? And it's a good question. And it's one, frankly, I don't have an answer for. I've struggled all week with whether or not I should cancel my subscription to the NFL Sunday ticket and just be done. And, and literally look at football purely as a mercenary endeavor because I'm in a couple of fantasy football leagues where if I win, I can win a decent amount of money. And that's it. And just, fo- and just look at it that way. Probably be better for my sanity, I'll tell you that. And look, I don't mind if the—look, you heard me last week after the Chiefs game or two weeks ago. I mean, I wasn't thrilled that the Lions lost, and I thought there was a couple of questionable calls, but I I would not attribute the Lions losing to the Chiefs the fact that the refs cost them the game. Okay? The Lions had a chance to stop the Chiefs on fourth and eight, and they didn't get it done. And the Chiefs got called for some penalties, too. Look, I did not think that that was a case of the, the referees costing the Lions a game. So, while well, of course, I would prefer the Lions win. And it was thrilling when Stafford brought him back and they gave him a lead. I also knew that they gave the Chiefs too much time. And it's not the end of the world. You lost to a good team. You played a pretty good game. Okay. But Monday night's an outrage. That I cannot abide. Because that's a game the Lions had won and the refs took it from them. By the way, how about the fact that they didn't Call pass interference on the Packers After the garbage First illegal use of hands to the face That led to the Packers touchdown Stafford comes out Throws a deep shot to Marvin Jones Blatant, obvious pass interference Which is supposedly reviewable now But the referees have literally overturned 1 in 23 challenges so far So Matt Matt Patricia knew That he's not going to throw the flag Because then you're going to lose a timeout And you can't be wasting timeouts in a close game So I give Patricia credit for that But guess what? That's dereliction of duty by these officials. If the rule's there, call it the way it's supposed to be called. Otherwise, get rid of the rule. And this is their little way of protesting the fact that they don't like that the league put this rule in place after the playoff game between the Saints and the Rams last year. We get it. But again, I'm supposed to think that it's on the level, right? The whole world knows that they're not going to call these because they're mad at the league for even putting this in the rule book to begin with that these plays can be re- reviewed and supposedly overturned, except they're never overturning them. That's their little protest. But these guys are all on the level. This is a fair league. There's, it, it's equitable. And by the way, why is it that the Lions are never the beneficiaries of this kind of officiating? Ever. Ever. If you're a Lions fan out there and you're listening to this, try to think back to one game where the Lions had a game where they should have lost, but they won because of some weird, wacky call or just flat out bad call, bad pass interference, not a pass interference, face mask, whatever you want to call it. Think about it. Has it ever happened? Can you remember it? By the way, also in that 2014 game against the Cowboys Not only did they pick up the pass interference flag But on the Cowboys game-winning drive and Sue got tackled three separate times by Ronald Leary The guard for the Cowboys at the time And Jeremy Parnell, who was playing right tackle for the Cowboys Tackled Jason Jones on at least two occasions Blatant The, the league came out and said it afterwards Probably to distract from the idiocy of picking up the flag The pass interference flag but of course the Lions couldn't get those calls either. They never get a fair Forget about getting an advantage. They don't even get a fair shake. I mean, against a high-profile team, certainly not against Green Bay and Green Bay. I told my dad, I talked to my dad on Monday during the day. I said, guess what? You know we're getting screwed by the officials. Every Lions fan out there that's been watching this team for more than 10 years knows this. It's an embarrassment. Anybody's listening to this show, they know. I'm friends with a guy who was a back judge. I think it was a back judge. Maybe he was a side judge. I'm not exactly sure. But he was an official in the NFL for like 15 plus years. Texted me unsolicited. Sent me a text Tuesday morning. Lines got effed last night. Embarrassing. That was the text. This guy has no skin in the game. This guy worked in the league as an official for 15 years. You think he likes to see this nonsense? He's embarrassed. And he doesn't even work in the league anymore. He's retired friend of mine called me up, he barely, he's a casual football fan. He doesn't care if the Lions win or lose. He has no interest at all. Said to me, "Is this, what, what, is football fixed now? It's literally what he said to me. I mean, it's a joke. And there were some people out there, Ryan Clark, Booger McFarlane, while doing the game, thought it was ludicrous. Dan Orlovsky said it's ludicrous. He put it in the larger context, though, that the officiating all year has been horrible. T.J. Lang, whom I mentioned before, tweeted out it's the worst he's ever seen the officiating in the league. I find that rich coming from a guy that was allowed to clutch grab and hold his whole career when he played, when he blocked for number 12, the golden boy up there in Green Bay. But okay, fine. I'll take T.J. Lang's word for it. By the way, I love T.J. Lang, the person. He's a great guy. Used to do this hilarious interview show on DetroitLions.com. Great guy. So I'm not trying to pick on T.J. Lang. Steven Tulloch, former middle linebacker for the Lions, one of the the best middle linebacker the Lions have had in the last mm, 20 years, since Chris Spielman, because the current guy they have now stinks, Jared Davis, awful. But anyway, he also pointed this out, because, boy, Tulloch played for Jim Schwartz. He was on the wrong end of all of those calls. I mean, think about it. That cost Jim Schwartz his career as a head coach. Right? Oh, I, I get it, he won a Super Bowl with the Eagles as defense coordinator And he's had a pretty good career But the whole trajectory of his career was changed By officials' decisions Because it cost the Lions games And so that brings me to my next point Which is, I understand Matt Patricia's got to have Sort of tunnel vision And put the blinders on And say, you know, you can't leave the game in the hands of the officials I, I get all that I would hope privately he told his team, look, we're a good team. We got screwed. Nothing else we can do. Let's go beat the piss out of the Vikings this Sunday. Okay, And it's pretty much what he told the media. I mean, he didn't put it in that strong language like I just did. And he didn't say anything about you know, getting screwed by the officials. Daryl Bevel, interestingly enough, the offensive coordinator, did come out and say the refs are not calling pass interference this year, nearly as much as they used to. But in any event... So I understand that Matt Patricia is not going to come out and rip the reps. I do. I understand it. I wanted Schwartz to go ballistic on the Calvin Johnson thing. I, I, I've sort of changed my tune on that. I understand. They have to. It's, it, it's, the, it's the world they live in. They've got to live in. I, I, I get it. That, that has to be the mindset. It's okay. But somebody, either Martha Firestone Ford, the owner, or Rod Wood, the... President or Bob Quinn, the general manager, one of those three really needed to come out and really lay into the NFL on this. And if they fine you a hundred grand, they fine you a hundred grand. Yeah, you can afford it, okay? It re- I mean, really, because again, it's just why is it always this team that this happens to? Always. And it happened to the Giants. I mean, the Giants get get screwed here or there, but never on a level like this. Doesn't happen to the Cowboys Actually did it the one time The Des Bryant play But guess who that team was against Green Bay Doesn't happen to Seattle Certainly never happens to the Patriots They invented a rule for the Patriots A tuck rule In the middle of a game So I mean Why is it always the Lions are involved in these situations Always You would think somebody in the organization Would be sick and tired of this nonsense but I guess not. Look, I guess they just all make so much money and the life is so good and winning would be a nice byproduct. I guess that's, that could be the only explanation. I mean, seriously. And, I mean, even if you're a coach and you get fired, look at Jim Schwartz, a perfect example. I mean, he made millions of dollars as a head coach. He makes a really good living as a defensive coordinator. I'm not saying it's an easy life. It's a hard life. It's a hard job. They put in a shit ton of hours. I get it. But it sure beats uh, digging ditches. There's so a lot of perks that come with being uh, you know, A high profile coordinator In the NFL Make a pretty good li- uh, uh, Living for yourself And I don't begrudge any of these guys that like, like I said, I've been around an NFL team One of my dad's best friends Was a coach for the Lions in the 90's I went and visited him for two mini camps. You know what time we got to the Silver Dome? For mini camps in April? Six o'clock in the morning. You know what time we left? Six o'clock at night. We we're there for 12 hours a day in April in mini camp without pads on. And this was in the late 90s before everybody was really insane and guys slept in their offices all the time. So I don't begrudge these guys making a ton of money. They work hard. That's fine. But what I'm saying is that in the grand scheme of things, yeah, you'd like to win. Of course, everybody wants to win. But when you're making five hundred grand a year or a $1 million a year or $2 million a year, you know, or if you're the owner and you're a billionaire, eh? are you going to really upset the apple cart, bite the hand that feeds you, so to speak? Guess not. Because nobody from the Lions has said a damn thing. The NFL issued their apology. The Lions took it. The Lions being the organization Oh, Rod Wood, I'm sorry Rod Wood had supposedly is going to have a conversation With somebody in the league office But I mean, I would have much preferred A public statement from the Lions Something to the effect that Had this been an isolated incident You know, mistakes happen And we're aware of that And we understand that we all want the league to be Better officiated However, this is not an isolated incident Point to the seven or eight incidents Or examples that I just listed on this show and say, we're sick and tired of this. And we demand an explanation. That would have been good. But it's not coming, so. The other thing I really don't seem to understand is, I mean, you would think. You look at Matthew Stafford. Guy's been impeccable off the field. Not one hint of impropriety, any kind of issue whatsoever at all. Made Detroit his home. Married, three young daughters. Very, uh, has, you know, charities in, you know, in, in local, in the Lions community, in the Detroit community, Detroit area, whatever. Does all kinds of great stuff off the field. It's been a hell of a player on the field, right? Numerous... fourth quarter comebacks. He's a thrilling player to watch. He's got all the talent in the world. He's a leader. He takes everything on his shoulders. He never shirks responsibility. He never points a finger at anybody. He's about exactly as perfect a player as you're going to want to have in your organization. Okay? And dopes like Colin Cowherd could say, sit there and try to use the wins, quarterback wins statistic, and say that you know he doesn't have any signature wins. Again, this is not baseball. And by the way, dum-dum, even baseball has figured out that wins by starting pitchers are relatively meaningless because there's only so much that they can control. So if it applies to if baseball, is figuring that out, you would think that it would apply even doubly more so to the NFL. Or football, where quarterbacks is, what, 45 guys they got to rely Baseball's Baseball is eight in a game. It's the pitcher and eight other guys. And okay, maybe in a specific game, maybe you use three relievers and a couple of pinch hitters. So at the most, it's what, 14, 15 guys? Football is 22, all right, 21 guys, plus your kicker, your punter, and your special teams guys. Oh, but he doesn't, he doesn't have any signature wins. That's a, that's a game Aaron Rodgers wins. Yeah, I wonder why. Because Matthew Stafford can't even get a blatant pass interference call his way. Let alone his, his left tackle complaining to the ref. Oh, he keeps putting his hands near me. Near my face mask. Wah. That's the thing, by the way. David Bakhtiari gladly admitted that he was lobbying for that call. Again, that's Rich coming from him, who basically clutches, grabs, and holds on every single play. But when you're blocking for number 12, the Golden Boy, why wouldn't you? Because it's never getting called. And in fact, when it actually did get called in a, cu- a couple of times against the Cowboys, they got very upset about it and complained vociferously. It's a joke. This league is a joke. It's the, it's the WWF of the 80s. It's wrestling in the 80s. The Lions are the SD Special Delivery Jones of the NFL. SB, SD Special Delivery Jones, sometimes a tag team partner of Rocky Johnson. Yes, the father of The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And then sometimes he would wrestle on his own. And he'd always wrestle against like whoever the number one bad guy was at the time. And you'd always think he was going to beat him, and he'd always be ahead. And then, oh, right there at the last second, like, the bad guy's manager would do something nefarious, and the ref would have his back turned, and the next thing you know, SD, Special Delivery Jones, is getting pinned. That's who the Lions are. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. All right, we're back here on Jamal About Sports. So you know, I'm not even going to go into actual any analysis of the game because honestly, it's it's completely irrelevant to me. It's been rendered completely irrelevant. I, I, I have no interest in talking about it. Um, like I said, I, I may not even I may be done. So we shall see. Um, I was going to talk about the rest of the week. I'm not even going to do that uh, because honestly, I'm so disgusted by the whole sport and the whole league right now um, that I I I have no desire to even talk about. Football. Uh, What I would like to talk about is LeBron James uh, and this China NBA situation. So, um, this thing has been a mess from the very beginning, um, all because of what's happening between China and Hong Kong, right? So, Hong Kong is kind of a sovereign nation, but not really. They're controlled by China. And for dopes like LeBron James, and it, it pains me to say that because I've been a big LeBron James supporter on this show. I have, uh, you know, other than that, the announcement, right, which was handled in, in, in extremely clumsily, uh, he's pretty much been unassailable, right? Guy's done a lot of good off the court. Obviously, he's been a great player on the court, um, you know. He's taken uh, stances on on social justice issues, uh, which I applaud. Uh, He seems like he's on the right side of a lot of issues. He seems like he genuinely wants to try to do some good in this world with his tremendous wealth and power that he wields. So I've been a fan. Um, But apparently he doesn't understand that China is basically an authoritarian country, certainly. Um, And look, Part of this is the NBA's fault, right? The NBA decided to, to take their dirty money. So that's, and I understand there's billions of dollars at stake. Maybe you know, what, no one's asking the question: Is why does the NBA need to be in business with China? Why are we doing business with them? You can't. You're going to tell me the NBA can't make plenty of money without China? I understand it's got the most people. I, I get all of that. And again, I understand there's billions of dollars there. You're going to tell me there's not I mean, again, NBA would, do, would be fine without China. But in any event, Daryl Morey, the general manager for the Rockets, sent out a tweet when I be- i forget who the teams were, but two teams were playing an exhibition game in China. One of them was the Rockets, and he said, I stand in support of free speech and for Hong Kong and freedom. And China, because China is China and not a free country, they decided to end all business relationships for the time being, with the rockets pulled, all their merchandise, dice. and I mean, you know, I mean, could you be more obvious, right? Be G be a little more sensitive if you get a chance, China. But that's what they do. They have state-run TV there. They control the internet. They there's certain people that are allowed to use it at certain times, and certain people. Although I know this because my friend lived there for three years on a business venture. Right? This is what China does. But apparently LeBron James doesn't know that. He knows that his Nikes sell in China and he makes a lot of money for that, I guess. But So he criticized Daryl Morey and said he doesn't, he's misinformed. Well, you're misinformed, LeBron. You have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Okay? You're Mr. Freedom is not free guy. You, you, you tweeted out a Martin Luther King quote last year after that dope Laura Ingraham told you to shut up and dribble. And now you're basically doing the same thing. Because now it's affecting your pocketbook You look really bad here Really, really bad Again, take your own advice If you're not fully versed In what's happening someplace Keep your big mouth shut Nobody wants to hear it Now he's tried to backpedal He's made it even worse Uh, It led to people in Hong Kong Burning his jersey, literally uh, Shooting baskets That has a backboard with his face on it I mean, this is like the kind of stuff we saw after the decision back in 2010 in Cleveland when people lost their minds. But, I mean, really, really a very disappointing misstep here by LeBron on this issue. And again, the NBA as a whole, and the commissioner has been gutless and spineless on this thing too, right? He barely supported Daryl Morey. I mean, it's really, I mean, look... I I don't want to sound naive. I understand that money makes the world go around. But it's interesting, isn't it? And I said this last week, right? The NBA loves to portray themselves as being the most woke, quote-unquote, professional sports league, right, in the world. You look like a bunch of hypocrites right now and phonies. All right, moving on. Major League Baseball. So the Nationals swept the Cardinals after beating the Dodgers in five, the heavily favored Dodgers, we talked about a couple weeks ago, right, wouldn't it be ironic if the year that not much is expected from the Nationals would be the first year that they would win a playoff series well not only did they win a playoff series, they won two including sweeping the Cardinals who looked completely hapless um, in that series and are now going to await the winner of the Yankees-Astros which the Astros lead 2-1, we'll get to that series in a minute but it's interesting. If you're the Mets, and you're the Mets front office, and you watch what, happened, what the Nationals just did to the Cardinals in that series, I mean, the fact that you wouldn't try to improve your team and hire somebody like Joe Girardi. You want to know why the Nationals beat the Cardinals? Because Scherzer pitched out of his mind. Not out of his mind. He did what Scherzer can do, which is he pitched great. Strasburg pitched great. They got a very unexpected Amazing start from Annabelle Sanchez, of all people, who threw seven or was it eight no-hit innings close to it? Maybe eight one-hit innings. He had a no-hitter after seven. And then that lineup is good. It scores runs. I said that. I said that in the Dodgers series. I said that going to the Dodgers series. Nationals are dangerous. Why? Because they got good start pitching. They can hit. The whole thing was going to be could the bullpen... Hold up or could they get big enough leads That the bullpen wasn't going to be an issue And that's basically what they did The bullpen held up in the Dodgers series Dodgers bullpen did not hold up We talked about the, Dave Roberts' idiotic decisions In that series And in this series the bullpen wasn't even needed really These games weren't even competitive Cardinals Asleep at the wheel Horrible in the field Couldn't get their bats on a ball And look tip your cap Give the Nats starting pitchers credit But You're going to tell me that if the Mets get into A playoff series next year You wouldn't like to see DeGrom Syndergaard And let's say Wheeler Still on the team and Wheeler as your three guys With Max and Stroman now coming out of the bullpen to support The rest of your bullpen if you can improve Your bullpen And with that lineup next year With Alonzo and McNeil and Conforto and Nimmo, J.D. Davis, Rosario. Please just go hire Joe Girardi. <laughs> Enough with the nonsense. I know it's never going to happen. But, I mean, again, you know, I wouldn't mind if the Mets hired, you know, a first-year guy, although it would be nice for the Mets to just hire somebody with a proven track record. Enough with this being, a pro- uh, you know, uh, a, a proving ground. For, for guys that have never been managers before but or 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 who were retreads, like Terry, Terry Collins, Terry Collins was a retread, right He was a failure in two places Houston and, and uh, Anaheim. Um, Mickey Calloway, of course, a first time guy, but I wouldn't even mind you know if they want to go get somebody from the Astros, right. Joe is spotted. Their bench coach. Look, the Astros have had an amazing track record. It doesn't always work out, but you know, at least I can understand the thinking there. You get somebody from a, an extremely successful organization, okay, and particularly one that that does use analytics to its advantage. Okay, I could live with that. At least there's an explanation there. There's there's a there's uh, there's a rationale there that I could understand, right? Even their own guy, Louis Rojas, that they might want to hire, right? He's paid his dues. He's managing the minors. He's been in administrative roles. Apparently, the players seem to like him. I could even understand that. He's a young guy. He's 38, a lot of energy. Okay. But not when somebody of Joe Girardi's caliber is available. No. You hire the best candidate. And he is the best candidate. And it's not even close. Forget about Buck Showalter. Madden just got hired by the Angels. That's fine. We, didn't, we knew that was happening anyway. I didn't want Madden here anyway. But Girardi did it here for 10 years in this city for the Yankees. Arguably one of the harder jobs in the world. And, and, I, and yes, I get that they have every advantage because they spend a ton of money and they're smart and they sink money into research and analytics and their international stuff and all that. I get it. There's a lot of advantages that go, come with working for the Yankees. But as far as the pressure cooker and the, and the spotlight and the scrutiny, it's probably the hardest job. That and maybe the Red Sox job the two hardest jobs in baseball. And the Mets job's a hard job. I'm not saying it's not. So, but then just go hire a guy that just did it in your own city for 10 years and never had a losing record and won a World Series and got a team that nobody expected to do much to within one game of the World Series. Two years ago, by the way. So it was not like it was a long time ago. And left that situation in great shape for uh, Aaron Boone, by the way. Look, sometimes, you know, this, this idea that, oh, he's irascible and he's, he's so intense, he's hard to work with. Uh, nonsense. It's 10 years. Sometimes it's just time to say goodbye. It happens. There's no shame in that. I think every Mets fan would be just fine for if the next 10 years the Mets never have a losing record, win one World Series and earn the playoffs a bunch, and at the end, they say, oh, you know what? We finally got tired of Joe Girardi. got a little annoying. Yeah, I think we would live with that. Would you take that or do you want Mickey Callaway again? And look, all the Mets fans want him. It's not in fa- it's not, that's not the issue. It's the owners. It's the owners and the general manager. Brody Van Wagenen has a chance here to show that he's legitimate and for real and push his own ego aside and do what's right for the organization and to see if he's supposedly this great salesman that he thinks he is because he's got to sell the Wilpons on this because you know the Wilpons want no part of Joe Girardi. They want no part of it. Because Joe Girardi's his own man, he's not gonna like let like it when Jeffy Boy strolls into his office two hours before a game and gives him his shares his thoughts with him on who should be in the lineup that night, which apparently is a thing that happens, right? And plus, you're gonna have to pay him. He's not working for less than three or four mil a year. Not gonna work cheap like Callaway or like Carlos Beltran will, because Beltran to need the money because the Mets already paid him 150 million dollars when he played for them. <laughs> You know, I mean, Eddie Perez. Eh, I actually don't hate the Eddie Perez idea. Apparently, the Mets have interviewed him or are going to interview him. He's a he's Tony Perez's kid. He's an announcer for ESPN. He's worked in baseball before, though. He has been a bench coach. I think he did manage in the minors years ago. He's a pretty sharp guy. When I hear him on TV, I don't hate that idea. Actually, I really don't. But again, I, I only hate. I I, I kind of hate it when Joe Girardi is there for the taking. And what, you're going to go let the Phillies or the Cubs, you know, the Phillies obviously in your division, the Cubs in the National League, you're going to let them hire Joe Girardi? You know, again, guys, invoke the Costanza uh, doctrine here, okay? Do the opposite, Will Ponds. Whatever you think is the right decision, do the opposite. It's enraging. I mean, it, it shouldn't even be a question. All right, we get to the uh, Yankees-Astros. You know, look, we we, we thought this was going to be the matchup. They're the two best teams in the American League all year. Tampa Bay put up more of a fight than Minnesota did, not surprising. Garrett Cole was phenomenal last night. Not because he was dominant, but because he wasn't dominant and he still threw seven shutout innings. Yankees hitters are good especially the top three guys, they foul off a lot of pitches, they see a lot of pitches, they grind out at-bats. He walked five guys, very uncharacteristic for him. You could tell the Yankees hitters were frustrating him, and he still grinded and got seven innings. And when it was 2-0 early, the Yankees had, had several chances, left a lot of guys on base. Sanchez is killing them, and Carnacion, who I like, is killing them. Pretty much everybody other than the top three hitters in that lineup are killing the Yankees right now. I think they're 10 for 70. Four through nine. Torres, LeMayhew, and Gardner have been good. The rest have been bad. Um, and then when they Astros added on two, then you saw Cole go into lockdown mode. And probably his strongest inning was his last inning, the seventh. Guy's tremendous. That's what stud pitchers do. It's what DeGrom did in 15 for the Mets when he clearly didn't have his best stuff and he still grinded out six innings, two runs against the Dodgers. Guys on base the whole time. You you never give up the big inning. Cole was even better. He didn't give up any runs. And look, Severino, give him credit. Horrible first two innings. Didn't give up, he only gave up two runs, but he had like 60 pitches through the first two innings. Ended up giving the Yankees five solid innings. Then Adovito comes in, walks the world, wild pitch run home. Britain, you know, gives up a sack fly. And, yeah, you know, Torres hit the home run to make it 4-1. But they, they, I don't think there was any question that the Astros were going to win that game. Now, what's interesting is it would appear on both sides of the uh, both National League and the American League That the ball that they use in the regular season Is not the ball they're using now Because Gregorius hit a, a ball last night That looked for all the world Like it was going to be one of those Cheapy Yankee Stadium home runs And it got caught, not even at the wall Just in front of the wall And I mean, the announcers thought it was gone The stadium thought it was gone I think Gregorius thought it was gone I think the Astros guys thought it was Everybody thought it was gone That, you know a month ago in September, that's a that's a home run, and but it's been you've seen it all over the place. The ball's not flying out. I've seen both got both teams guys on both teams hit balls that I think are either going to be in the gap or home runs that are getting caught. Interesting. Now, of course, Major League Baseball never admit to this. Gregorius doesn't seem to think that there's anything to it. Aaron Boone said he's not so sure. He's not he's not sure either way. Something that bears watching. So, they were supposed to play tonight. It's raining here. Game got rained out. So, they're going to go tomorrow instead. Obviously, must win for the Yankees. You do not want to be down 3 1. Now, the thing is, Granky doesn't scare me if I'm a Yankees fan at all, right? They hit him fine in game one six innings, three runs. He wasn't awful, but he wasn't great. I said two weeks ago I thought he was overrated. But, obviously, Verlander is a handful. Cole's a handful. Again, that bullpen, a little shaky. Ozuna looked good last night. Very good. Um, You know, Harris was pretty good. But, you know, the rest of these guys, Peacock, Presley, Joe Smith, a little shaky. All right, it's going to do it. For this week's show, as always, thank you for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check me out on Twitter, at Jamal about Sport and OS. Until next week, peace out.